0: Welcome to Sound & Vision,
1: conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound & Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound & Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School, where drawing, painting, and sculpture are studied in depth, debated energetically, and created with passion. The school's full-time programs, a two-year MFA, in a three-year certificate prioritize experimental learning and perception. Beginning in fall 2021, the Studio School welcomes artists from around the world to join its inaugural virtual certificate program. Combining the studio-centric emphasis of the school's teaching methods with an individual real-time approach to online learning, this full-time program is designed for serious artists and dedicated aspiring artists who seek to cultivate the studio skills and methods that will prepare them for a lifetime of art making the priority application deadline is april 30th 2021. apply online today at nyss.org erica renee received her mfa in painting from the uc berkeley She's the recipient of a New York Foundation of the Arts Fellowship in Painting and AIM Fellowship from the Bronx Museum and was granted residence at the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture. She was an airspace resident at the Abrams Art Center in 2009 and was awarded a studio grant from the Marie Walsh Sharp Art Foundation in 2011. Her work has been exhibited widely in New York at the Bronx Museum in the last Bruceennial, Raven Lee programs, David and Schweitzer's Contemporary, and at the Southampton Arts Center. In the summer of 2018, her work was featured in concurrent group shows at Jeffrey Young Gallery in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, at Leslie Heller Gallery in New York City, at Klaus von Nietzsche Gallery in New York City, and at Freight and Volume in New York City, as well as two concurrent solo exhibitions at Ground Floor Gallery in New York and Brick Project Room in New York. In early 2019, her work was featured in a solo show at Leslie Heller Gallery, and later in 2019, her work was on view in a group exhibition at Wild Palms in Dusseldorf, Germany, and in a solo show at Frame and Volume. Currently, her work can be viewed in a group exhibition at Stephen Harvey Fine Art Projects in New York City on the Lower East Side. There are two solo ventures and several group shows planned for New York and Connecticut in 2021. She works in New York. I sat down and talked with Erica about music, bird watching, materiality, and much more. Here's our conversation. Like you'll be uh, impressed with how little preparation I've done for this.
0: <laughs> well, that was gonna be that was gonna be my next question. I'm like, oh, I guess we're just gonna dive right in, no prep. And just take it from there.
1: Well, I mean, it, for me, I you know, there's so many studio visits with friends over the decades that I've done. And, you know, we talk about day-to-day stuff. You know, it's different. And then every time you hear an interview with an artist, it's I feel like there's like 20 questions that people choose from. Yeah, that's you know true. I mean? That's true. There's so much more interesting about these people that you you never really get to hear that stuff. Right. So my mission was to just say, hey, well, you know, sometimes I'll get a comment from someone and be like, well, you didn't really talk about their work the whole time. Or like, you didn't talk about this painting or that. And I was like, yeah, but that, you can get that. Exactly. You know what I mean? You can get it online. Exactly. And like, how do you know, you know, what this artist listened to when they were eighth grade and how that shaped their future? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the
0: idea. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm acting as though this whole thing was like super planned out, but it wasn't. <laughs>
0: that's that's refreshing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's for me, because, you know, you're driving, how how long is it? Five hours? Five hours.
0: It's on a good day, which is rare. It's three and a half. So it's what, like 200 miles. Um, So, yeah, it's, I actually enjoy driving. I mean, it's something I don't even, once in a while I'll put NPR on, but, you know, I'm going through three states and it changes and i'm too lazy to find the npr station for connecticut and then the npr for massachusetts right. so basically the radio goes off i have a radio in my car mm-hmm. <laughs> um <laughs> with a cd player cassette player in there but i finally replaced it but yeah i mean i drive an old truck you know 1992 black pickup truck And um, it's just my little home away from my apartment. Um, But it's just so meditative, you know, no sound, no voices, no music. And I'm just looking and driving. And so I look forward to my long drives. Plus, it's nice to see that transition from city to country and the air changes. And then when I'm coming back, it's just a different energy. Even my driving changes. Like I drive like a crazy woman. When I'm in, when I first arrived in the country, because I've got all that city energy, and then Definitely. yeah, and then
1: when drive, it's hard to shake it, yeah,
0: right? and then I mean I I remember <laughs> driving, I was on almost home, and I was, it, it was like kind of in a little town, but you know you really had to slow down, and I was doing a good, I wanted to do a good sixty in a forty. And I was stuck behind this little old lady who was doing about 25 and she was making me crazy. So I passed her like really fast. And there's a police car coming. in direction. And oh, I was man. like, Oh gosh, I know I did it. I ruined my little chance for a perfect arrival. And of course he did a UE. I slowed down anyway. I just pulled over to anticipate him, but he's like, wow. And I said, you know what officer, I'm sorry. I just came from, New York City. I'm just a little <laughs> revved up right now, and I apologize. It'll take me a few days to come down. He was laughing at me. He gave me a ticket, but sure. I deserved
1: it. Uh, I deserve yeah. Do you like it's, it's the city's fault? It is. I it's the mind. city's it's fault. The city. It's the city. What am I supposed to do? It's But it's funny because, you know, what? like when my parents would visit the city, which, you know, isn't very frequent, they would be amazed at that energy of driving. Yeah. But I tell them, if you don't drive that way. Right. You, you're gonna get tram- it's like if you go to Times Square in Peak Times Square right. and you walk slow yes. like Sunday walking you're gonna get trampled. You are. so you have to adapt you,
0: you do know? you have to adapt I drive I love driving in a city it, it gets any aggression any intense energy I have I know how to maneuver I've been driving here for you know nearly 30 years yeah. um but it's funny, conversely, when I'm driving back to the city from the country, I feel like I've just left the Caribbean, you know, like I'm like, yeah, how you doing? It easy. what's going on? People honking behind me because I'm going too slow, <laughs> sitting at the <laughs> light the a little thing. too long, daydreaming. So it's fun to have both sides of my personality come out accordingly.
1: Yeah, but you do have to adapt to the city quicker. You do. Than you do to the you country. You have to be on like, it, right? Away. You come out of the Lincoln Tunnel or the Holland Tunnel, and you take that, like you know, the country approach. Oh boy, you learn quick. Yeah. You got to hit the speed. I'm on the
0: Cross Bronx, and they are like whizzing around. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. back to back to business here.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know what's funny is we, my family, we travel to Japan pretty much every year, oh, yeah. and I bring back that that energy when I come back to New York, oh. and You know, that sort of understanding more like communal, like, oh, you know, not New York energy. And it's amazing how quickly I have to like flip the switch. Like I want it to work. Right. But it just doesn't work. It won't.
0: You have to switch it. I love Japan. Speaking of Japan, I'm a bit of a Japanophile, especially during this COVID period. Um, I'm like, I get my news from NHK. You know, I don't want to watch, you know, American media, but and my best friend, my childhood best friend, was Japanese and nice. um so from first through eighth grade, I had like a Japanese sister. They moved away to California. Her dad became president of uh c i t first Asian president, so they moved to Pasadena, and I was so sad so but we just met up not long ago after like twenty five years, she came to the city wow. with her boyfriend and it was great just to see the same person but i learned a lot about japanese culture you know and i still don't wear shoes in my house
1: (laughs) i know yeah it's it's funny when because you know i live in a japanese family and you, when you see people who do wear shoes in the house at this point like it it makes me feel really it's Same,
0: same here them. I just I don't know and, and it's funny because if ever the super has to come in here I put the sign up like no shoes and he's like oh gosh here we go with this lady not-
1: yeah I had guys carrying a washing machine up the, <laughs> the steep steps upstairs and they were in their socks and it was so funny but I was like sorry guys you gotta do it <laughs> <laughs> I love that
0: that's so funny
1: seems a little dangerous but I haven't sure
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it stays with you i love it though so i have a little, it does. a little bit of that history plus i've been to japan as well i traveled there for i'd say two and a half weeks by myself after college graduation oh nice um,
1: just a little sort of post yeah i wanted thing. to
0: go and none of my friends were able to go one friend met me towards the end of the trip but i started in tokyo and then i went to Kyoto. Then I went to this really interesting, like, I, I'd say it was like working class town called Beppu. And it was just mm-hmm. known for having this Hot Springs amusement park type thing. Nice. So I didn't yeah. want to do that. But it. I just went all over the place. I remember the hotel I stayed in Kyoto. I met a wonderful Woman who was the supervisor of uh, housekeeping and she took to me somehow. She, I guess she saw I was traveling alone and she, she didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Japanese, but we bonded and I ended up on a train going to her home because she wanted to show me that she was the master of tea ceremony and play, oh, playing nice. the koto. And so I'm sitting in the stranger's apartment and she's showing me these videos and she was so kind and she took me to her favorite noodle place. I mean, I love to travel like that. Just no plans, meeting people just, I mean, you know, within reason of safety measures, of course, but Japan is so safe.
1: It's, you know, and you can practically
0: eat off the sidewalks. It's so clean and safe. Um, But yeah.
1: Just, just like Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> just like Brooklyn.
1: <laughs> the litter situation—that's that, another adjustment when you come back, because you're like, there you can't even find a trash can. Like, yeah. there's just no, tra- there's no trash. There's no and trash, and then there's no trash cans. You come back here, and it's like you can't throw something on the ground and not hit other adjacent trash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we love New York, right?
1: <laughs> oh, that's the that's the that charm. That is the
0: charm. <laughs> I love this city. I love it. I mean, I can't get it out of my blood now. I mean, I, I was raised in the country, you know, my uh, childhood and teen years right up to college um, were spent in rural Massachusetts, which always surprises people, but it's a, it was a real agrarian society, a lot, tons of farmland and um, mostly milk, farms and then there's tobacco a lot of tobacco farms which are gorgeous uh, structures those barns where they yeah hang the tobacco but yes yeah, it's, it's a beautiful part of the country and that's in my blood too so i i need both i need
1: tobacco i need no no tobacco <laughs> <I'm just kidding.
0: laughs> no but i need country and i need city i need both of those environments to stay balanced and set centered and I'm lucky to have access to both, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. Wait, did you so did you spend all your time in rural areas growing up? Yeah, no from
0: like- I mean I was born in in Los Angeles, but when I was 6, we moved to Massachusetts. Um and yeah. <laughs> my mother found this this farmer who was trying to sell his place. And it was a broken down farmhouse with two big barns and i mean she was in her 20s she built this thing up as a family home it really is just like a normal family home nothing fancy just very comfortable i mean there are five kids you know you need a lot of space for that so she grew up in virginia and wanted that same feeling of what her grandparents had provided they were farmers and she liked that feeling so we that's where we stayed and I went to public school in Amherst, and we would drive like 45 minutes to Amherst. We lived far away from it.
1: That's a long commute. Tell me about it. And
0: I'm not a morning person, so it was like 5 a.m. every morning. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I was so happy to go away to high school so I could like sign up for the 11 o'clock classes. Right. To this day, I'm nocturnal. I'm not a morning person at all. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, wait, so do, do you think that's where your love of, well, I don't know if you would have loved it, but your comfort of being in a car might have come from those early Oh, maybe early so. Trips?
0: Then, it yeah. Well, it was funny because the car rides were tumultuous because my brother and I fought every day both ways. So we were both kind of hot-headed kids, and I'm the.
1: Old. <laughs> I mean that's part of it, yeah, right? Yeah, that's the, to be expected, it's, I guess. And
0: and we we both have the same temper. Um, I lost him like 24 years ago, but he was he's four he was four years younger than I. So here I am, the oldest sister, really bossy, and he was like the brother, the male, like you're not the boss of me. So every day, and we had these big afros, 70s. Yeah, oh. Just like- and it was, you know, nothing, no bloodshed or anything. It's just right. like pulling hair and kicking and
1: all this, yeah, both right.
0: ways. I mean, one time my mom threw us out of the car and left us.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. oh yeah. Left well, this is a country
0: road, so we. She's she had just had it. She's like, both of you get out.
1: <laughs> and See, those are the kind of the great lessons. I feel like that these days you would just be thrown in jail. If you did that. <laughs> I but I feel like back then that teaches a good lesson. It it's did. Like, look, if you kids act up, you're going to walk That's home right. and it's a long it walk.
0: Was, we were about <laughs> two miles away from home, but of course she came to pick us back up. Um, but it was like, we weren't sure for a minute, like, is mom coming back? And even so, we were still fighting. We were on opposite sides of the road, like, just yelling <laughs> at each other. <laughs> We we got it together when she came back. we like, she came back like five minutes later, but we were like, whew, okay, we yeah.
1: do But that fear kind of
0: it got in our heads. We're like, "Oh, yeah. we knew how, where to go, where to walk," but it was like, "Oh, this is bad. We we were Lesson we were learned. bad."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, when you and growing up, I mean, were you always artistic or creative? Did I was. Yeah, I was. Were you a drawer or were you doing creative things around outside? I imagine you spent a lot of time outside. Uh, That
0: was my thing. That was, I was the kid who came home from school and I had this beautiful German shepherd dog and he and I would go for walks for like two or three hours. So from the time we got home from school to dinner time, I was allowed to just go by myself walking through the woods And I was such a nerd. I mean, I was collecting birds' nests, deserted birds' nests. I would like, you know, draw, make studies of the eggs and the type of birds. And I had, I still have this book by National Geographic. It was a bird book, which I loved because they had a little record, a vinyl uh, record in there of bird sounds. So I was able to learn all the make connections with all the northeast birds. So I was just so into that, and then I was collecting bugs. I was studying bugs. I entered my bug collection in a science fair and won a little prize. I mean, I'd love that stuff. I wanted to maybe be a botanist or a zoologist or an ornithologist. Um, but I was always creative, so I would, you know, I I wrote a little book about whales, and I wanted to do it my way, and it was just like using certain paper and making the drawings, So the creative side of me, was always integrated in with the interest in science, I suppose.
1: Um, But yeah. Now, do you think that, do you think it's still not to jump forward too quickly, but does, do you think that informs your work today? There's some sort of physical outdoor tactile relationship?
0: Absolutely. I mean, even the alchemy of, of, the materials that i use i i I, shellac is my signature material and i love that it's made from beetles you know the real pure shellac anyway um and i love um how how i mix certain things with the shellac to create a crackling effect so i get these surfaces that evoke nature to me you know like rock formations or lava or um even mud dirt anything like that i love that and actually i mean i used to paint nature scenes and i've kind of gotten in i mean i'm in that this show that opens today at stephen harvey and that one i i'm starting to see that i'm incorporating nature as something that you can read um literally whereas You know, I've been doing purely abstract for a while. And in this, you can see sort of leaves and vegetation hanging. Um, It's done, I don't paint it on purpose. It's just when I'm pouring the paint, it's starting to shape into natural forms. So uh, it's always in me. I can see the country in me. And then I have a little city in me because I've been using spray paint. But I've even been turning the spray paint into more of a natural uh, look. So I'm not trying to do graffiti, you know? Right. I don't
1: know. It's funny though, how the, that, those connections to when you're growing up and being creative, I feel like no matter how hard you try to suppress it in one way, shape or form, it comes out in the process, maybe not sort of visually, right? but just even the way you approach right. the physicality or the materiality of whatever right. it is, you know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. I mean, I- like I remember growing up painting, um the there was like a rectory like a church rectory mm-hmm. like had a corner to where we lived and you know I lived in a part of Pittsburgh where it was like the houses were connected they were houses oh. but they were like you know there was like a foot in between right, each house. Right. and in Pittsburgh for some reason it was like church church bar church church bar wow. <laughs> it was like the well, you know the demographic yeah uh. it was Like that, and so we had this huge rectory in a church, and I I would paint that church Mm -hmm. in like Fauvist colors or something. Nice. And my mom has that hanging in her that same house in Pittsburgh. And when I go back, I'm like, you know, my work is kind of that still. Yeah. (laughs) In a way, like it doesn't get that far away. Yeah,
0: you're because you're still a Fauvist in a sense, right? Maybe. Well, I think maybe
1: flat. I use like flat colors yeah. in a sense, and I think there's a connection between like you know, like I grew up watch, watching like Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry right. and stuff like okay. that, and I love that Chuck Jones yes. style, yeah. And um, that to me, growing up, that excited me visually, right. like Roadrunner cartoons. The landscapes were amazing, amazing. To me. yeah. And I think that's just, and you know, I grew up with Warhol around right. all the time, yeah. so none of that felt foreign or felt like quote unquote like pop. It just felt like oh, that's kind of the way you can make images. Right,
0: yeah. yeah I, and it's still I there. I was completely attracted to flat, um, cartoony art when I first yeah. started. I mean, because I wasn't real I was never trained to draw. I mean, I was making copies. I was trying to copy um, advertisements, images, portraits, just to get the hang of it. But I was more of a craft person. I came through my creativity started with craft. I mean, I was always on a sewing machine or sewing something, cutting. I tried knitting, but you know, things would evolve from what was supposed to be a scarf into like some weird other shape, (laughs) um, which I would end up using as a collage element. So, you know, the failure of that led to something else that was more interesting to me. Um, But yeah, I, I loved flatness and that, that has carried through a lot of my work even now i look at things that are flat with like these blocks of bright color and i just get excited you know yeah um yeah and i remember in grad school they were always getting at me like where are your layers where's where's the depth in your imagery where how can we see through this other layer and i was like i like flat is there something wrong with that
1: you know <laughs> I got the same I got the same oh. deal and like where for me it was always where's the emotion oh you yeah. know, like this is like unemotional because for some reason once Jackson Pollock did what he did that, that was the like, only way to define emotion and right? you know almost like the only way you can write an emotional or a, a like a heartfelt song is if you like turn the distortion on the guitar up to like <laughs> you know eight or something you know I what know I mean like exactly it had that vibe yeah a, it seems a little myopic, but you know, I didn't know better, so I was, you know. But I did my thing. Yeah,
0: or they were always like, "Where are you in this? Where are you? You need to be more personal." I'm like, I, I'm right. okay with what I'm doing here. This is me on a canvas. Right? I made it. Yeah, I made it. Like by <laughs> virtue of that fact, I think that's me. You right. know, some people don't understand that. Or more political: Where's your blackness? Where's your woman? Like, oh, yeah. Uh, all right, you know what? It's all in there. Just trust me. It's all in there. Cause I made it. I'm right. a black woman. Okay.
1: I mean, that's this, that's such a like the unfair thing about like content when it comes to people is that it's almost, you know, it is like stereotyping is. just to say like, Oh, well you're like, you know, here's the three kinds of imagery that we feel like that you're supposed to make. Right. right? Which is like ridiculous. But with, you know, if you're just a white dude, like you can do whatever, do what like no ever. one ever says, like, you know, maybe you should be making more work about your generic whiteness right. in America. No. <laughs> no one says it. You just do what you, you do. But like, if you're, if you're Japanese, it's like, oh, well, where's the cartoon anime? Stuff? Right. I mean, come on. Exactly. You know? That's. But that so exists, I like guess. It does
0: very much so. Um, yeah. I am making sure I am not that professor, you know, who's going right. to say any yeah, of right. that. I mean. Also, cause that I've experienced it and it's not, you know, you just, I just kind of roll my eyes. I don't, I don't allow it to get me angry. It's just that it's like, come on, right. just think outside yeah. the box here. Okay. Just think outside the box. And I don't care if you know what I am when you look at my work. Um, I want you to take something away from it. My work is intuitive. Um, and i want you to pick up things and maybe discover things i didn't even know you know about right. it but you know i've had dealers saying you know wanting to kind of <clears throat> describe my work and put it in in this folder of urban which is just another way of saying she's black you know right just because i've used spray paint and i'm like okay Is this how you're thinking? You know, after all this work I'm doing, that's all you can zero in on. And that's how you're marketing my work. But, you know, people just have to learn. I'm not here to teach anybody, you know.
1: It's laziness, though. I feel like it happens throughout the response of any kind of creative media. It's like if you think about music, like if you read like criticism or or people who are describing music, it's so kind of like... I mean, I I get it. Part of it is for categorization or like, you know, it's like, Oh, well that's country music or that's hip hop or whatever it is. But it's, there's so much nuance that just out of laziness, people just say, Oh, well that's this kind of music or, you know what I mean? It has to be kind of categorized. I think unfortunately it's part of human nature to where you just will associate things. It's like some sort of like thing wired with Yeah. Yeah. And
0: maybe just to make it easier for you to, understand or compute something i don't know i don't know why we do that i'm it's so funny when you talk about music though because if you look through my collection of music i just i run the gamut i have a little bit of metal you know i mean i've got yeah i've also got bossa nova i've got hard rock soft rock soul funk not i mean even some country music old school though not the new stuff
1: like the old Hank Williams, right?
0: Stuff. You know, um, I need a lot of different. I need a lot of variety in my life and and on many levels. So that just keeps me excited. And you know, um, I agree. You know, I just need. I can't just stay stuck on one type of music. The only thing I will admit, I'm not. I haven't quite caught on to is is rap and mm-hmm. and like hard hardcore. Heavy metal rock that just makes my head hurt.
1: <laughs> but right. I have metallic yeah, yeah. I have a Metallica CD, you know. And it's pretty heavy metal. Yeah,
0: that gets heavy. But there's something soulful about them too. So that's where I can I can um, cling on to that. But that's it. I only have one. And I don't right. I don't know when I last listened to it. But there was one time when I I needed it while I was painting. I just needed that energy. So you get through the painting, one little portion yeah.
1: of it. I'm right there with you. I mean, I did grow up on rap music, so that to me is part of it. But I was never, a lot of my friends were into heavy metal and I was never into that. I was more into like indie rock stuff. Yeah. But um, if you have that itch of like wanting to like, you know, that Metallica, like yeah, just know, that, some that aggressive itch, yeah. there's a band called Shellac. Which Shellac, nice. With, yeah. Which is Steve Albini, who's a producer who recorded like Nirvana and PJ okay. Harvey and all sorts yeah, right. of people. But that band is—they scratched that itch. It is so raw. Really? It's even—I think it's way more hard than someone like Metallica because Metallica is more like like an illustration of like evil. Or right? Maybe that's why. Shalak is just—it's raw, like you know. Okay. Well, I like energy. hearing
0: that word raw. Anything raw, no matter what it is, might hook me. Cause I do,
1: it's, it's usually pretty good. Yeah. Right?
0: I like purity of, of sound or of, of composition. Um, definitely. But yeah, no, I mean, I just, I need to, and then also, you know, I could do a painting and listen to the same damn album for five hours straight. Like I just need to get into that zone, like that hypnotic zone of definitely hearing Let's say Nirvana. Like if I could just listen to that. Or I either recently there's just this cheap little like Bob Marley CD I got for like three bucks. And that just uh, was on repeated loop for six hours in this one little corner where I had to yeah. do tiny work, you know, tiny, detailed work. So it's and it's funny when I see the paintings, the song just come, bounces right back into my head. You know, mm-hmm. I'll just hear it'll just be right there, the soundtrack right there.
1: Yeah, like the rhythms in the the painting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like I'll look at a certain area of the painting and I'm like, oh, okay, that was, you know, the whatever song I was listening to at the time, it'll just click right on. It's like a weird connection that happens.
1: Yeah, I do that. Some, I mean, part of the whole podcast, I, I talk a lot about music and I used to play music. Uh-huh. I mean, I still play, but I used to be in bands and stuff. And it's such a big thing for me to like tie together parallels between music and yeah. art because it's always been that way in my yeah. life. But, um, you know, that idea of like going through parts of a painting that are methodical and take a long time and I'll put on something like Tony Allen, like a 14 minute long song okay. with a shuffle beat that just goes and go. I mean, that to me it works so well. But then like, if I want something chaotic and I put on like, you know, Ornette Coleman or something, right. and it, it just makes sense, right. you know, and I, it's like, I'll curate sound to the kind of dynamics that I want within a painting.
0: Right. I mean, I, speaking of Ornette Coleman, jazz is really good for me when I want to get started on a painting or when I'm in the middle of it. Um, and yeah. for some reason, uh, Charlie Parker is perfect. It hits the right note because It just keeps moving, but it's also kind of light and then also complex. And my painting just looks so good after I've listened to (laughs) any Charlie. So I keep Charlie on the side to get started. Um, When I'm mellow, I'll go into God, whatever is like low key. And then of course, you know, Jimi Hendrix is also good for good energy for me to get started. And yeah, music is important. I mean, I have recently you know, now that I've started slowly getting back into the studio, um, I've been into um, just really listening to nothing. <laughs> just yeah, the sounds, because I'm right near the BQE. So I just, I even enjoy hearing these trucks just whizzing by, just yeah. feeling that rhythm of the city. And then when I don't want to hear that, I was um, I just told my students last night, I was listening to bird songs again. I have a CD of birds, bird chirping and that's, yeah. and birds have come back into my life important, you know, become important again. When I'm in the country, I've got my little feeders and I'm watching them with binoculars and walking around. So it's sort of full circle now, but yeah, music, music is very important
1: in the studio. Some kind yeah, agree. Now. yeah. It's funny. uh, Well, that's the, there's two ornithologies you brought up already Mm -hmm. between bird and birds. (laughs) Um, I had like a huge bird influence when my son was young. We got an app that would sing all the calls. So I learned all the bird calls, Northeast birds. And then I actually did a kid's book that was the birds of New York where I would draw out like Photographs that I took from around New York and put a different bird in each thing. It never got published, but I just basically made it for him. Oh wow! But it's really the sonics of birds is so intriguing once you start studying it. Yeah. And like when I go out into the country, I can hear the different. I mean, not all of them, of course, but I hear a lot of those different kinds of birds, yeah. and it's it's pretty cool to like decode like oh there's a cardinal right, you know right. like a mile over there or there's a tufted tit mouse in that tree, right you know, exactly do that stuff you
0: know it's interesting i just i just recently in the past few years realized how beautiful robin songs can be yeah. um they just have such a beautiful warble and um and then the other day, well, no, a couple of weeks ago when I was in the country, I heard something I've never heard before. It was such a beautiful song. And I was looking up there I'm like, what are you? It was hiding, though. I don't know what it was. But, yeah, I love that. I'm coming back to that. You should try to publish that book, though. It would be very popular now. Everyone's into birds.
1: Yeah, it was it was <laughs> a fun project. I kind of like, you know, I printed it out nicely and I gave it to him, And that was, you know, we did it. <laughs> I guess that was the main reason I wanted to do right. it it was well, you know important. it would be cool to have it out there i guess but but yeah it's like um in that whole process i think i what triggered it was there was a mockingbird that always used to like land on the antenna of the apartment across the oh, street oh wow cool and it would do its songs you right. know what i mean and do that like kind of like flipping circle flying thing yeah do. but it's amazing to me that they copy other bird songs to impress the other their mate their potential mates it's such... it's
0: it's true I mean there's some birds cool? are so fascinating just you know when you watch those David Attenborough you know docs about um, birds of paradise and all the different things that they do and the dances they do and then there's the what is it called the bower bird that builds this beautiful, nest to entice the female and they find all these different little shapes and that match in color color coding everything
1: i didn't know i don't know about the bird
0: oh my god you gotta check it out if they build like a little hat like thatch um like tent or something out of twigs into a beautiful shape and then they actually go and find these objects like maybe shiny beetles will all be blue and they'll have it the blue patch here and then there'll be like a red pile of like everything has to be red and then over here maybe uh something white and the one
1: so they're making art
0: yeah they're making art you gotta check it out and then you know the female comes and checks it out (laughs) if she likes it she stays if not she's off (laughs) to the next (laughs) the next hut But yeah, no, I don't know. Birds, birds save me too. I just, and I have lots of birds all around when I'm looking.
1: At I was going to ask where you are, like, it must be good for them. Yeah.
0: Right? Oh, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I had a, uh, even in the city, the birds are here. Like I had um, the morning dove, a morning dove family. I mean, I have those spikes on my window to keep right. the pigeons yeah, yeah. away. Cause you know, I want to open my window and I want, Pigeon poop flowing, <laughs> smells flowing into my bedroom. But right. the one one bad blizzard, the, the part of the spikes broke off. I'd say about this much space was left open. Mm-hmm. And
1: it's all they Morning need.
0: Dove found it. I saw a little twig up here. I'm like, what is that? And then this little family parked themselves. La- and it was great because it was right during COVID the, when it first yeah. You know, March, April, we were in the throes of of COVID and here was this little family. It was like my little nature break every day. I would just check (laughs) in on them, see when the egg was hatched and then another. And uh, yeah, it was a sort of a saving grace for me. It was something for me to really focus on while I was stuck in my apartment.
1: I guess it was like having pets. It
0: was. And I don't want pets. I don't want any pets. I'm not good with having things, anything live moving around in my space. I'm a true loner. I love to be by myself, and it's just, you know,
1: no pets. By
0: design, I don't have children. I don't have pets. I have plants. I can deal with plants.
1: They don't move too much, so you're safe (laughs)
0: unless unless I turn on a fan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No movement. So yeah, it's nice that they were outside and wild. I like that kind of pet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, so to go back to your, you know, moving from creativity when it was involved in your life early on to like, when did it become the thing that you thought, okay, this is what I want to do, like where you got into it, got into it.
0: I was kind of late into it. Like in college, I was a government major with a public policy concentration. And I took, I tried taking some art classes. I was not actually, I was an art major, but my counselor didn't have me down as such. So I wasn't able to get into the studio art classes. So I was able to get, take a lot of art history classes and maybe one or two craft club courses like, you know, silversmithing and this class that was called a gut course. Anything that was easy was called a gut course at Wesleyan. And so uh, I took this gut course that they called cut and paste. They nicknamed it cut and paste. It's like this older guy, and he just like cut up pieces of paper and collage them. You had like guys from the football team in there.
1: Um, So (laughs) the bar was low. The bar was low, but I was like, at
0: least it's something I could do, something creative. That's when I felt like I had an itch for it, you know, and. I made some pieces, um, I made these collage pieces, which were again, flat kind of cartoony, I was creating these characters. And I thought, oh, and and by that time, my counselor realized that I could be a double major with art, which was late in the game. So um, he enrolled me in the thesis program for the art majors, and I made paintings based on these little cut and paste Things. And it really took off. Everyone was like, wait, you're an artist? And I was like, I don't know. Am I? I'm a government <laughs> major. I'm going to be a lawyer. So my senior year, I uh, went abroad. I studied abroad in Paris. And I took a couple of classes at Parsons um, while I was at the American College trying to get my credits towards my government degree. And this yeah. one class, I don't remember the professor's name, but he made us build a painting from scratch. So we had the wood, we had to shape into the stretchers. We had to have, you know, really nice linen canvas. We used, we cooked up rabbit skin glue, you know, and treated the canvas. And then, and I was like, what, this is what goes into making a painting, excuse me. And we had to make our own oil paints and put them in the tubes, and that was it for me. That's
1: when I was like from scratch, from
0: scratch. And, and I it, didn't, yeah. I'd never made a painting, I wasn't, I was like, what is this? And I had so much fun with that. And that's yeah. when the light bulb went off that I want to do this, and um, so you know, I. <laughs> I let my parents know that I was not going to be a lawyer. I was going to be an artist. And I called them from Paris. And it was like <laughs> total silence on the other end of the line. And I thought, hello, is this something you guys here? is this on. <laughs> but that's what, that was it. And I had total support, yeah. which was good. So when I came back, when I graduated from Wesleyan, since I didn't have much experience in studio classes, I after I got my my degree from Wesley and I enrolled at School of Visual Arts because I wanted to get the full-on thing. So I only had to stay there for two and a half years. They were able to transfer credits. And then from there, I went to grad school. So that was, it was all set in motion.
1: Really right. pretty now, much
0: from Paris.
1: Yeah, this is a, probably an impossible question to answer, but do you think if you were introduced to painting in a different way to where it was like, okay, here, you just go by your stretcher and here's your paints and tubes do you think that detachment from some of the craft like qualities that you probably responded to because you said that you do like kind of like you know the craft side of that stuff do you think it would have hit the same way I
0: think so I think so maybe not as quickly and passionately but it's funny because my process I run away from building anything now I mean, I don't want to do any of that. Also, the canvas we built was about yay big. It was small. Right. And I work, I love working large scale. And, you know, I've certainly built my fair share of canvases and stretching everything. And I, I really hate it. I just don't. It's, I'm no longer a purist about making it from beginning to end. So that part of me has has changed. But I liked knowing the process. I think that was the most fascinating thing is more than, I mean, I liked doing it too, because it was part of the class project and it was a contained environment with instruction. Um, but no, I think, I think it would have hit me the same way, like using paint, just that viscosity, something about paint is, does it for me, you know? And yeah. I don't, paint from a tube I pour so I love that whole action of pouring I get my water bottles and I cut them in half and I use that and I just pour and pour I just love pouring I think I like looking at water flowing so I want
1: it's hypnotic Yeah, yeah it is
0: and then I just let it dry sometimes it'll roll over into corners I don't want it to but it allows me to lose control because right. I I I like control. I like to harness things, and I can't do that in the way that in um, with my technique, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I like that that relinquishing of control. That's that, that's a big part of my process, really. Every day when I'm painting, I'll do something to force myself not to try to control, and then in the end of the painting i am i'm like tweaking things getting those lines just those edges just perfect i don't use tape for lines for clean lines so i'm just like this weirdo who's will take that sponge brush about a hundred times until it's just right and probably only
1: i can see it you know no no I, i i it's it's almost like you'll let it start loose and that's your improv area, but then at the end to seal the deal, you're going to sort of like And
0: I guess I'm that's both sides of me, just like city country, you know, I've got the loose side and then I've got the controlling perfectionistic side too. Right. You know
1: have you used those um those paint they're not paint markers, but they're basically they look like a big fat Sharpie, but it's there's acrylic paint in it. No. And like you can, it's got a foam tip to Uh-oh. it, but it, you can basically paint those lines, Yeah. but it's not like a paint marker where it looks like, you know, different, right. like it looks kind of like a marker. This is just paint that comes out, but it's kind of beautiful. The line work you can get and the cleanness of it.
0: Okay. Yeah. I got to look into that because I like those I, tools.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll send you a link. Oh, that'd
0: afterwards. be great.
1: Yeah, no. I I don't use them too much but I have sometimes like I'm doing working on paper and I'm amazed at just how crisp but flowing like you want that good flow yeah, you know you, you don't want it to be like something yeah, well, you, shaking you, thing with a metal right. ball and <laughs> <laughs> <It's> the worst. <laughs> that is the worst. Yeah, this is just like cuz you've um, you've mentioned you use foam brushes too. I do. Right? I'm I'm like, like almost foam 90%
0: brushes. foam brush.
1: Yeah. I'm keeping a uh, gen manufacturing and business. They make all those foam <laughs> brushes, so. but uh, they, these things have that foam tip to it. Oh, yeah. So you can, you get a nice, you know, smooth. Line. Yeah. You
0: told just, me when you said foam, foam is key.
1: I yeah, I it. really like foam brushes. Yeah.
0: I love your clean lines too. I'm like, how the heck is he getting that so clean?
1: what's well, mostly tape i mean i use i do use a lot of tape
0: uh, you know my the reason why i don't use tape really is cuz i don't really know how to but i feel like if i did i would just be going nuts with it
1: it's the worst it's like crack i mean you can't <laughs> you know what i think to, is
0: going to happen
1: when i have students who like start I'm like be careful like you know you gotta you gotta commit to this and it's going to you're gonna have to know when to push back right and, you know but I think in reproduction my work looks like it's all super clean and taped off but when you see it in person there's a lot of hand stuff that's going good on in there. that's good yeah but I you know when the the internet and reproductions I
0: know it just flattens like totally everything different. out even my work flattens out and I have a lot of surfaces you know and build up on my paintings that you don't see at all in a photograph and then people see in person like whoa look at all these like cracks and crevices and yeah tears and all this stuff so yeah
1: i mean that's the disparity between in life and not the first show i saw in new york when i was an undergrad i came to new york and i saw carol dunham and larry Pittman two-person show and the larry Pittman paintings i was like i had seen those in in art magazines reproduction i was like Oh my God. Right. Like the surface is insane. Right. Look at all the, it, you, know, you know, it flattens it, out, right. but in person it's, you know, you're, you're, it's perplexing just how complicated that very, very thin surface is. That's right. You know? Yeah. That's, but it, it blows your mind and it opens up the whole realm of like the subtleties that can happen within that, you know, very, very thin space.
0: Yeah. And then they feel like paintings, you know, instead yeah. of these flattened reproduced images yeah, no, I think I first saw Larry in, in uh, at the I think it was a Whitney biennial in the early days. Yeah. Because I came here in uh, nineteen eighty-eight. Um, and I was just so in love with going to see art. You know, yeah. we don't have that in rural Massachusetts. So it was <laughs> such right. a, You're surrounded it by was it. such a gift. I was like, Oh, look at all these museums and galleries, everything was located in Soho. Um, and so you would just, it was easy to get there and just walk around from gallery to gallery. Um, and it was not far from SVA. So it was just like going from class, check out. I mean, my, I, I have to credit Marilyn Minter. She was one of my professors at SVA and she was the one who like assigned us to go out to galleries, you know, every, every week we had to write about the show. Um, We had to select, she would say, just pick some shows and write about them. And that was our assignment. And that was when I really started going out to check out the art. And it's funny because I find that, you know, I teach art and I find that a lot of the students just don't take the initiative to see any art. They don't know the contemporary artists. And I think there need to be, you know, maybe some courses that Give you the rundown on that because it's hard, you know, when you're a teenager to really push yourself. But I'm like, you're in New York City. You're the center of the art universe.
1: Um, <laughs> it's not far. Get away. out there.
0: Go it's to the galleries. Yeah. So I've kind of copied Marilyn, and I would make you know my students go out to museum shows and and write about it. So
1: yeah, um, yeah. No excuse if you live in the city. No but I think I. You know this as a as a teacher. It's like, I think these days, though, the the currency of contemporary work has changed. Like, it's not just the gallery. You know, it's Instagram. And it's like right. people are looking at people, you know, it, it's been democratized in a way as far as, like, the way that the influence of who they're looking at approaches their eyes, where, you know, we would have to usually go to a gallery website or just go to New York if you didn't live in New York and see the, like, walk up West Broadway back in, like, the early right. 90s. And that was your your education, right. you know? And, but now it's like, I, sometimes I'll preach like you guys should really know who these artists are. They're like, you know, you know, people who are held in high regard right. and people think their work is really important. And, um, you know, and they're just like deer in headlights. Like what, wait, what? I know. I that, are they on Instagram? They're not on Instagram. Right. But whatever.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, I've actually taken to, you know, now I have to make sure that they're actually going, cause you can go on the internet Find images of the work. See the show all on the website.
1: See the show. Yeah, see
0: the show. <laughs> right. I want them to go to the show. Well, not now, of course. I can't. Not right. making anyone do anything outside.
1: No one's going in. Yeah, right.
0: Now. But um I would actually ask them. I was like, "Well, you have to take a selfie. I want you to take a selfie, and I want if you're going to a museum, I want to see your ticket stubs. I mean, I had to. Now I have to yeah. just like." Proof. make sure there's proof that they've actually physically seen the show and not just looking on the internet. Cause they would, you know, make photocopies. Um, they would Xerox images from the online, you know, right, paintings. Right. And then they would collage them as if they had photographed the work at the show. And then I was like, you didn't go to the show. <laughs>
1: It's it's almost more work. Like I could imagine them photoshopping themselves in a selfie. I know. I was looking. I was
0: even got to that point. I was like, "Is this photoshopped? (laughs) Is this the real deal?" So sad that I had to do all that work just to verify that they actually went Uh, to the show.
1: It's 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 so. emblematic of like technology complicating our lives in like a micro scale of like just go see the show it'll take you like a half an hour and save us all hours of work of decoding right, right. The or uh, and who knows you might actually like to see the work in person the point <laughs> right
0: and like we were saying no. you have to see things in real life you know like it's the difference from seeing laurie Pit- laurie Pittman you know in a photograph and actually seeing the subtleties of those of the thin application, you can see the paint happening. And that's what I want the students to recognize those differences.
1: Which is, which is, makes total sense is completely logic. But then I worry that part of me worries that like, we're well, we're just old. People are saying like, you know, when I was young, I used to look at things in real life. Like, as if you have to do that anymore. It's like, what well, yeah, screen's I know. I
0: yeah. And The looks you get back, especially now that I have Zoom and if I say, tell any stories, I'm like, oh God, I sound like an old lady. Um, I can just see them just not like processing any information. Like, here we go. Another story. Um, <laughs> the Zoom glaze. Right? <laughs> so I'm like, trying yeah, to sound, you know, up to date and relevant, but I don't want, I want them to know that it is important to have both. You can be Definitely. high tech, but you also have to get out there and engage in real life. And if anything, COVID might be teaching people a lot about, you know, now that families are stuck in these spaces together, not able to get out. I mean, one of my best friends, she was like, wow, we're actually eating at the dinner table together, and it's really nice. Yeah. And their kids are acting their behavior is better i mean everyone's connecting in that case i mean i know it's very stressful for families especially with younger younger children and the homeschooling and all of that but i feel like maybe it is you know all the things i complain about for the younger people like not engaging just always being disconnected and on their devices i think maybe less of that is happening because now they want to get out and engage and they might see right. the importance of that now that there's lack thereof, you
1: know. One can hope. One, I mean, that's the optimistic view. It is or they could just be like you know, not on the computer all the time and never wanting to date yeah. again and just like <laughs> fetishizing like, you know, whatever it is online that's not real. Right. Life. Yeah. But then like in a global pandemic too, it's hard to be like, get out there and go right. rub elbows with people. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm <laughs> I'm
0: talking about the yearning now, like I think with my the students, designs, yeah. yeah, like before it was like all on the devices or interacting with each other. Like I've seen two students who are sitting across from each other and texting each other or whatever. They're communicating on the device and they, they're like one foot away from each other. Whereas now there's a yearning for physical contact they want hugs now and they want right. and it, it's not in probably less of this it might eliminate that kind of thing across from each other and now like well let's just hug and actually look at each other and talk to i don't know maybe i am overly optimistic but i feel like i've seen some kind of yearning for that um, which i didn't see before
1: I hope, I mean, we're in the beta phase. Like this is the first go at, you know, it's not the first time there's been a pandemic or like an issue like that, but it's the first time with our kind of connectivity and, you know, with technology and all that stuff, which totally, you know, morphs the socialization of of the human race in a way. Like it's it's conducted completely differently now than it was a hundred years ago. So who knows like how this is, you know, having like a young kid, like I don't, Maybe it's kind of all going to be the same as it was when I was a kid, just slightly different. You yeah. know, I remember when I was young and my I was watching TV and my parents would be like, that TV is going to destroy you. Know, it was <laughs> right, like, right. It's going to be, you know, you're going to turn into this or that. And it's like, no, you just watch TV sometimes. And I don't even watch TV anymore, really. It's right. just like stuff online once in a while. We got rid of basic, you know, any cable or any of that stuff. So it who knows how it's going to... I mean, it's hard because you can only predict what the effect that this is going to have conditional upon like our current situation. Right. But who knows what it's going to be like in 20 to 40 years, you know, the structure of society, it might be completely different.
0: Yeah. I, I, I certainly think that's what's happening. There's a
1: good thing. Good thing. We're making pictures.
0: You know what? <laughs> I think we are in the right profession. That might not change. No. <laughs> I mean, I hope people <laughs> will start to uh, appreciate what we do even more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do have a student in one of my drawing classes and it just didn't it didn't phase him at all to ask me if he could just make digital drawings the entire semester. And I was like, you're taking drawing two and we have charcoal and graphite and erasers on paper and digital. Maybe you can do that for your final project. But it made me pause. I was like. Is this the transition that's gonna start happening where I'm gonna be, you know, accepting digital artists in my drawing class?
1: I'm teaching digital painting this semester.
0: Oh wow. Well see, you're a digital class. I'm
1: yeah, no, yeah, it's specific to that. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: specific to that. But I'm wondering, you know, if things will transition to that where it'll be a mix for a drawing class, not a digital right. drawing. Like drawing digital drawing will be accepted as Part of the general drawing pantheon, you
1: know, it's like, I think generally it will, you know what I mean? But, but the, the reason I'm excited to teach this course is because I'm trying to inject more of the analog fine art realm into the digital medium where I think by default it goes towards like character design and all that other stuff. I'm trying to like get the other side into it just as equally like as you know the the manga or the you right. know cartoons or whatever most people who are drawing the digital media come in from that exactly.
0: Door. exactly.
1: So I'm trying to you know inject the other side of it and so far it's been great. I'm hoping that you know there can be like a nice combination of the two I things. I should you know? be.
0: I don't think one should be phased out. God help us all if we if drawing with a charcoal is Considered passé, or paint, it never or paint will. It never the brush. will. Yeah, that I believe will always stay.
1: It's the same fear every time, right? Because like when the Kindle came out, people were like, "But books are great." Yeah, as if like they're not going to be made anymore. Right? People still read books, but they also, if they're flying on a plane, they might not want to carry around twenty pounds of books this with them. True. And if they can bring this little thing, <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. So I think you know yes the new media is a part of art making and a part of artwork but it's not going to take over any of the other versions of it it'll just be part of the the dialogue
0: i think when something's new like that though and you see the convenience of it versus you know carrying 800 books around there is a real fear that it'll wipe out you know that tactile book holding experience the the right. desire to have that experience but now as you as we all see both exist coexist very well and maybe one becomes that convenient device when you are traveling and maybe it's only for that while you have a big yeah. library of books in your home you know
1: right well i think that the the gap between you know reading a book and reading a book on a kindle mm-hmm is less broad than, you know, making a drawing on an iPad and making a drawing in real life because the materiality is so much more malleable yeah. in there's a nostalgia with books in the sense that like the smell, the touch, that's and that's great. real, but you're not making words. You're just reading it. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas opposed to making a drawing, it's a physical activity. So there's a a broader gap there that I think people you know, if you really love drawing on, you know, a tablet it's probably comes from drawing as a kid. Like there's the root of drawing there that you'll probably want to go back to.
0: Well, I was just going to ask that. Do you think that kids who are, who prefer digital drawing, if they come from that history of actually the tactile experience of holding a, a, a utensil and drawing on something, um, Mm -hmm. on paper, um, do they have that experience first or do you find that most of them just dive right in, start just with the, with the digital?
1: Well, I'm like comforted by, I mean, even doing the podcast and just talking to artists, just how many people analog draws like a young, young, okay. like child. You know what I mean? I think it's as rooted in our, I don't know. There's something just like all kids will just take crayons and draw. You I know? wonder and I don't but yeah I guess nowadays maybe more kids are getting an iPad shoved in their face right
0: so what if like the younger people that's how they start they don't know about crayons anymore or pencils it's all about that that device that they start working with
1: yeah I I guess the romantic in me feels that it will never go away because the foundation of analog drawing is such it's basically the the crux of like you know, painting and making and even sculpture of just like playing around with objects and stuff. I do think, yes, there will be more of a migration into new media just because it's such a landscape of what people do. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it will ever knock out, you know, the traditional media. I think the traditional media might be less intense as it used to be. But I would argue that it's kind of probably doing that anyways with the amount of time human beings in general are spending on technology. Mm -hmm. So if you are, let's say like it used to be as a kid, 30% drawing 70%, you know, playing out or doing whatever else. Now it might be, you know, 10% drawing and like 90% watching TV on the iPad, playing videos, might as well at least have more time doing something creative on that technology, like drawing or animating or video or whatever. So at least you're in. You're still in the creative That's process. Right. That's
0: right. That's
1: Because the tools change, yeah. you know, fundamentally, but the creative process is the process. You know. Yeah. There's probably a lot of writers who still bring out the, the old typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, and and or just write it on paper, and there's I a beauty to that. that and something writer. happens. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have to have a but, yellow pad, and I have to cut. And I'm like an artist when I'm. Like a a studio artist when I'm writing because I'll write it out and then I don't edit, you know, like I would, which would be so much easier if I would just write everything on my laptop. But no, I've got to be in this yellow pad, cutting it and pasting it, like literally cutting and pasting, arranging these pieces until it all comes together. It looks like a, a collage piece, you know. Um, Because that's how I learned, so it's still with me. I mean, I'm not – I love the idea of the typewriter, but that thing was a pain in the butt, you know, before they had the corrective paper. So when I was in college, they didn't have the corrective paper. So if you made a mistake, you had to rip the thing out and start all over again. And then a god from above blessed us with the erasable paper. So you just erase the little A that you made, the typo, and it would save you a lot of time so yeah i don't i'm not i'm still not feeling the love for the typewriter but i wasn't really well well skilled with typing anyway so <laughs> that's one thing that i'm happy to see go and happy to upgrade Boy, that,
1: <laughs> yeah the evolution it would be interesting to to diagram the evolution of like spell check Of like Uh, where it used to be, you would have to like go back, like you're saying, do that. And then at a certain point it was computers and a little paper clip would pop up and he'd be like, hey, you sure you want an apostrophe there? (laughs) And then you'd hit close, like get out of there. And then it became like, before you even think of it, the words there, like you probably mean this word, which is really weird.
0: I need to work my brain though, because uh, I remember, okay, so we had the typewriter, no spell check on any of this. Now, we had you had your dictionary that you actually had to leaf through and make sure you got that right. Um, And then there was this I think it was called a word processor that came out and that was like the speedy typewriter. So the computer started to inch into the typing experience. And then I mean, in college, they had this computer room. There are like five gigantic (laughs) computers. And there are like 20 geeks in there every week, like, yeah, new technology. But we were all just no one was really visiting that room much. Um, and then it of course, boom, all of a sudden we have these computers, and now they do all the work for you, and it's very invasive for me. I mean, it's so easy. I was like, God, the convenience of this, you know, I don't have to check my spelling on it, but now I don't know how to spell words as many words that the spell check helps me spell because i don't have to retain that information it's being done for me so i have to i actually took it off two of my devices and i'm like oh this is so hard i gotta go look it up you know but now i retain it it's all it's like gps too or map quest i don't i don't program any of that stuff i will get lost And I learn. I learn the hard way. But now I know how to get somewhere. All these different locations where I'm driving, I'll have a memory of it because I was actually looking and trying to find it rather than, you know, Waze telling me, take a left here. I have no memory (laughs) of how I got there when I do that.
1: See, I think we're just a product of our environment, though, because that's the way that you learned it. I think if you took a young kid and forced them to live that way, they would be good at you know, going off the grid or whatever, but so much of their life now is part of that technological structure that they would be illiterate in that and they would be even more screwed than if they were lost with, you know, not knowing what a compass is. Yeah, no, I mean,
0: mean, those were my formative years are different from people younger in the way I learn and process information and retain information. And maybe we all come out the same in the end, you know, but for me, if someone starts doing stuff for me, then I'm lost, you know. I think even right. in the wider span of life I have to do everything for myself in order to get it done in order to achieve something. So that's just that's just the way it is generational and how yeah. we learn, how we pick up information and process it.
1: Definitely. With your um so you have a studio in the city. I do. Do you have a studio in the country as well?
0: Uh not really. I've kind of turned a little space into a studio I did. I tried to, I did a show in that space. Um, 2019 I had a show at Leslie Heller and I just wanted to get out of the city and I, and they were smaller canvases, but you know, there's not proper lighting, you know, it didn't have a lot of space. I couldn't be messy. So really my, my studio is in Brooklyn and I love my large scale, I can mess up the floor. I need to feel like I'm free to mess things up. It's a little small. I'm actually eyeballing a bigger space downstairs, but of course more expensive. But I'm wondering, you know, space is important too. Like this space has so much more wall space and there are things like I can hang a lot more and I'm wondering how that will affect my work at large. Like, will it improve? when I can do what I naturally like to do, like working on several large pieces at once, rather now I'm able to only do two at once. Um, but I'm debating it because I have a slop sink in my space, in the one downstairs doesn't. doesn't <laughs> walk down uh, the hall to the bathroom.
1: Could be a deal it breaker. It could be.
0: I'm doing the pros and cons list right now. <laughs> <laughs> but...
1: But you didn't you didn't have the um, temptation of like, I don't know what your place is like out of the city, but that fantasy of having like a giant studio, like a raw, just a big rectangle. That's my goal on the land. That's
0: my goal. I'm actually house hunting for for such a space where I can have like an extra structure where I can just walk from my house to this huge barn studio. So that's what I'm looking for. yeah because the
1: space i mean when you get out of the city that's the whole perk right It's like okay you can get some space
0: exactly so that's that's the goal i mean i still want to have a base in the city but i just um now i'm at that stage you know in my life where i just want to settle in somewhere be 75 percent there the rest of the time here plus i need to be in the city make contact with you know the new york art scene you got to kind of stay close to that but at some point, you know, they'll want to come see me <laughs> if right. I'm not there, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah, totally. Um,
0: not, re- I, not there yet. But, yeah, also I can paint outside. I love that. Um, you know, like yeah. when we were at Skowhegan, did you paint outside? At, I, I know that I painted outside. I brought my big canvases out, and I was pouring shellac. The next day I'd have all these ants in my shellac. Oh, yeah. I was
1: like, okay, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't work outside because I was I had the cow pasture right next to me. So oh. Yeah. I I didn't have like the I mean there's a lot of space yeah. there, but it was like cows. Yes. But I did I definitely drew outside and spent yeah. a lot of time like hanging out, out It is
0: nice great. to have that option to go outside. You don't have that in totally. the city.
1: Yeah, I mean the fantasy of having like an upstate I I know some people have like giant studios. Yeah. It's just the quiet of that. I think also to being going through this whole experience obviously a lot of people are getting out of the city and they are. places because you know, you need some space. Well,
0: it's funny. Cause now I just see lots of New York license plates in my little rural town where I grew up. What yeah. are you guys doing here? <laughs> you know, nobody's <laughs> out here. Now you're from New York. Everyone's buying houses. People are fleeing to their Hamptons homes and you know, yeah. Yeah. leaving the city. I love the city. I, I wouldn't want to leave the city, but I do. I, that's my dream is have right. that house and the big studio. It's also nice that I would just, the commute would be out the door, just like a couple of feet to my yeah,
1: view, be rather than
0: the bridge and tunnel commute that I have now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the uh, the the fifty yard walk through the grass oh. with a hot cup of coffee, oh. and you walk into that giant space, and it's just all you have all the space you need. I
0: know, I know. I'm it's so, pretty dreamy. So jealous of the older artists who were, you know, had those huge Soho lofts, oh, and then yeah. they got their That's country crazy. homes for like fifty thousand dollars, and then they ha- you see them now like in their eighties, and they have this gorgeous big studio they're painting in. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just like, oh, I wish I was coming up during those days when it seemed to be cheaper to attain.
1: I'm sure it was a little rougher. Though. They probably paid for it. One yeah, way or they another.
0: did. They did. It just <laughs> looks so good now at this. Yeah. It lives. Does.
1: <laughs> yeah any, any real estate choice like that is a good look. It you really know, is. You, you get in early on. Yeah, a, you know. it,
0: exactly. Now, you know, you look at country homes and they're like, Five hundred thousand dollars for one bedroom. You know, oof.
1: They're like, we know you guys want something out here, and we're going to charge you for it. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> oh, a girl can dream.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so can you talk a little bit about the show that it open? It opens tonight, right? Yes, it's called. Well, when this comes out, it'll be yeah well. a week ago. But yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's called Paradise Island at Stephen Harvey Fine Art Projects. And it's a group show, and Stephen informed me that it was inspired by um, the island of the Amazons, of course, fictional. And this is apparently where Wonder Woman was born. (laughs) So it's all women, as it turns out. And I guess we're all the Amazons from Paradise Island, (laughs) the selected Amazons by Stephen Harvey. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I, there, I, was, I had to look up a few names that, that I don't, wasn't familiar with all the artists, but there are artists whose work I, I love, like Megan Brady, really love yeah. her work. Um, never
1: Speaking her. of big studio outside the city. Oh, really? She's in Maine. Oh,
0: gosh. Yeah, I hate everybody who has that. <laughs> <laughs> and even um, Meg Lipke, who I just showed with in, uh, at uh, Gold Scope Ophelia in New Jersey, I just saw it. She just posted her. Uh, we've, I've been meaning to visit her in Ghent, New York, yeah. and she has an amazing looking studio. And I was like, that's what I want. So I can't wait to visit her because she posted an image on Instagram and it just looks heavenly. It looks like she built oh. it
1: herself. It's not fair people flexing their beautiful spaces outside the city when we're locked down. It's brutal. I know. Thank you. How dare you? They're like, Oh yeah. You think New York is so special? (laughs) Look at that.
0: I know. Hey, hate you all. Love you. Love you. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, so this is a group show. It's a kind of a big uh, number of artists and, I don't know how, I mean, it's the miracle of Stephen knowing knowing his small space and how to work it. But I have one small painting, which is 11 by 11 inches. And then he saw me, but this is the magic of Instagram sometimes, is that he saw this post and I posted a painting from 1997 and he loved it. And he's like, hey, can I have that too? And it's like six by six feet. I'm like, where is this going to hang in a show with like 20 artists, but he's figuring it out. He's like, we make it happen. So those two paintings are in the show.
1: That's so cool. It's a 24 year gap, right? Yeah. Like my math isn't completely bogus. Well, that's, I mean, does the work resonate? Like, how well, do you feel? Oh, yeah. About it was the-
0: back, I was, when I was in grad school, I was doing, I was focusing on black stereotypes and I was collecting, <laughs> you know, all of these figurines of black stereotypes, the imagery was a lot of it was terrible. And some of it was, was made for, you know, advertising. So once again, we're in into that realm of flatness um, yeah. is and how that kind of imagery really was created to draw you in to be a quick attraction. Um, so I was making these paintings with these, this cartoon imagery, everything was sort of outlined in black. And this one painting is these two little girls, white girls, and they're and I think I got it from a coloring book or um, a, a fairy tale book, and I just projected that image, drew it with in black outline, and then I have these black stereotypes, like kind of mixed in this soup of paint. Now that's still my signature: the dripping and the shellac and collage yeah. overlay. So. That's there, but this is different because I'm using representational imagery, and now I basically have wiped that all out because I did. I got tired of researching stereotypes; it was depressing. So back in the '90s, it was kind of the thing. All a lot of black artists were exploring that, um, and so that was that's what I was trying to set up. Like they're lost. And the title of the painting is "There's No Place Like Home." So there's they're lost. There's the fear of black people, and um, there's the innocence of these children who have probably been socialized to see black as evil and negative. Um, right. So I had that juxtaposition of, you know, the black stereotypes and then these these little girls. So that's the painting that Stephen loved for this show. <laughs> I don't know how it ties in with me being an Amazon, but but yeah, it's interesting because these two paintings do have recognizable um, uh, objects in them. One has nature, and so they pair well together. Plus the little painting I started in 2010, I thought I was done. I was organizing my studio, found it, and I was like, no, I can do some more with this, and I just finished it last year. It's the only canvas painting that I've made in 2020. Oh. Um, everything else was works on paper. I made, like, you know, 30 works on paper, but that's because I was at home making these, these works on paper at home. But, yeah, it's the only 2020 painting.
1: So this, that's two pieces that are pretty – enigmatic
0: yeah yeah I and mean, and
1: in in, you know in the in the lineage of what you're working on i mean it's such a big gap and then there's like tweaks to the you know what you've been working on in a way so it's it'll be interesting to see those things
0: together. i know i think they actually work well together it's so strange to go back i mean i posted the image on instagram i think oh uh about two months ago And I had been back in the country, I was looking through storage, and I found it. And it was like, right when I moved to New York, um, after grad school, because I went to Berkeley, so I was out in California, then I moved back here, and things picked up really fast. People loved the stereotype paintings, (laughs) unfortunately for me, because I was like, if I see one more black face, if I see one more black man being like whipped in the Middle of town, watched by white people, I was it was right. depressing. I know there are people who who can go right into the trenches and stick with that, but um it wore out fast for me. I was just I was feeling like a low grade funk having to see that all the time. Um, yeah. so I clearly am too sensitive for it um to to delve into it, you know, I want to know what's happening in the world, but I have to take breaks from, you know, I can't do news every day. I have to take news yeah. breaks. I have to do that stuff because I absorb everything and and it stays there, you know? Definitely. So that's why with work, work painting, I want to be a refuge, but I also want it to be a place where I can channel whatever I'm feeling. And that's why I like to leave it open-ended and not um, focus so much on the figure or some kind of representational imagery because then i can be free to just let whatever it is out you know with the the action of painting but i am yearning for a little representational nature to come back into it maybe it is covid being cooped up and then taking breaks in the country
1: yeah it's you know and these things in work i think become cyclical but they take on a new life when they come around the second time you know yeah when you sort of tap back into things, it's kind of, you know, it's, I think it's an organic part of the creative process, you know, but at the end of the day, like when you were saying it looks, you know, they look good together. It's well, it's like what we were saying earlier. I mean, it's you, you made it. Even if it's, even there's that gap there, it's all coming from that. The authorship ideally would be, you know, would resonate no matter of it. You know, I look at stuff that I did, you know, 25 years ago and, you know, I don't, I guess you could be like, well, it hasn't changed that much. That's depressing. Or you could be like, well, you know, it it has, but they've been small change, you know, right. it's, and it makes sense, but it definitely feels different. And, you know, you come back to certain ideas and, and it's different the second time around in a
0: way. It is. I, I was just happy to see that there was still some connection to what I'm doing now. Like you can still see my signature in there, which I hadn't thought through, you know, it was just yeah. there. It was kind of cool to see that. Um, but I also feel that COVID work is looking more focused for me. Yeah. No, I think the work is becoming a little bit more complex. I'm j- I just have all that time. We all have this time in these enclosed spaces. I don't know if that's affecting your work or not, but it's changed mine. Also because I have more time, more time to work on things. Um, So, yeah, it's it's helping me in a way this.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I I think it affects I think it affects people differently, too. Like, you know, I was definitely during the shutdown shutdown when it was like full on lockdown. I was making a lot of work at home because, you know, small work on paper. But then like as things open up at the same time, like my kid doesn't go to school. He's at school at home all day like so you have time but then time is it's weird because that time gets sucked up in a different way yeah. and i'm not getting to my studio as much as i normally do like it's i'm working at home but it's a different kind of working pace you know right. so a lot of times i'll go after dinner right to the studio and work late into the night and that's a whole different animal so yeah. you know it's it it's just a different play out in a way it is
0: no i mean if you have family then you have to really compartmentalize your time Um, and I don't and I have so so time for me is like oh now I'm not in my car half the day that's time for me that I can just do my paintings or or like in 2018 to 19 I had a crazy show schedule which was unexpected and I hadn't had anything prepared so I was making all this work for the each show some people would contact me like a week before the show and I would be like making a painting and thinking, (laughs) is this done? I don't know. i am lost. I don't know how to gauge how this looks. And some of that work I'm looking at and I'm like, I really need to go back into that. You know, like I just felt so rushed and and that's because I I work slowly Um, and I like to work slowly. I like to take my time looking at things, but you know, you can't always just enjoy that slow time if you're a professional you gotta have your stuff ready to go you know especially you know if it's a good opportunity you're going to make that work and you're going to be rushing
1: (laughs) yeah definitely you got you just have to you know you don't wait around for uh inspiration yeah yeah That's,
0: that's that's the romantic uh um expectation of art is that you know, we we'll just have all this time and all this. <laughs> I mean, I have I call them my civilian friends, my non art friends, and they just think, Oh, can okay, we come over and have some drinks and just hang out? I'm like, Do you want me to come to your job and drink some drinks? <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah, hang out the yeah, exactly. Would you like me to do that? This is not what I do. This is not what it's like, like you see in the movies.
1: Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty far from that to be honest. <laughs> really? For sure, and we're
0: not guaranteed sales. So you put all that time in there. It's like maybe it won't even sell after three months working on this thing, eight hours. A yeah, day, you know,
1: might have all been pro bono. We don't. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> we don't. We don't know for I mean, sure. We certainly know we are crazy. It's like you might just be working for free. <laughs> oh well it's for the love of it. (laughs) for the love of it the passion for sure yes well um so so the show is going to be open tonight that's going to be up for um i'm gathering a month yeah it's
0: open from today february 17th it's not a physical opening nobody's going to be showing up we're probably going to do a zoom thing um but it closes march 20th so yeah just slightly over a month yeah
1: Listen, I've been to openings to that space. That is not a social distance. No, situation. no. I've been in there and it's taken me 20 minutes to get from the back, <laughs> back to the front door. It was so crowded. Yeah, in there. no,
0: people love to show up at those openings. And I just thought, mm, this is my first time showing there. And I thought, I don't know. I hope Steven doesn't expect this to show up because I will be outside in the middle of the street, just like doing yeah. a drive by, you know?
1: can get one of those bubbles that they do those <laughs> bubble bumper exactly. things just roll into the opening with that. Yeah, you know,
0: I appreciate <laughs> being the show, but
1: I actually be pretty yeah, I'm a germaphobe too
0: already yeah, of yeah. that. So, yeah, no. I was so happy when they told me it wasn't going to be a physical opening, but the show, the gallery will be open so people should stop by.
1: Most yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then if they can also follow your, your work on Instagram. That's probably the best place. Right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Or your website. I have a you website, website I have both, too. So.
0: Yeah. So, okay.
1: and just your name for both. Yeah. It's right?
0: for Instagram. It's erica with a K dot Renee R E N E E. And then, um, my website is www.ericarenealtogether.com.
1: And should they follow your burner account, which is Erica Ornithology? Erica Ornithology, you doing bird I will
0: setting calls? that up. <laughs> <laughs> that will be my second, my third account. I don't know. Yeah, I am totally turning into bird lady. Oh, there's this one artist that I follow, and she takes the best photographs. I forgot her name. She shows.
1: Oh, I think I know. Who she you're talking with
0: Nikhil Bushin
1: Yeah, I think. yeah. She,
0: Oh, man. she has. I'm like, how did she get that close to that red headed woodpecker?
1: <laughs> Some of them, too, look like Sears Who portraits.
0: That's,
1: that's amazing. It's like, oh, there's a family shot of the parrots. <laughs> that's pretty great. Oh,
0: I love it. I think she's up in Vermont or Maine or somewhere. But I'm like, she she's out in deep in those woods getting these great close ups. But yeah, I see. I'm a bird lady. That's just call okay. me that
1: <laughs> I'm into birds. Too. Yeah. Well, I had a great time talking and it was so nice to meet you yeah. and maybe one day we can go to an opening I, like a real one. I would love that. In real life as I'm learning IRL. <laughs> IRL. Yeah. yeah so
0: cool. great. Well, to meet thanks you, so much, Brian.
1: Yeah, it was great to meet you. is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. Many thanks to Erica for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks to Lola tone for the intro, outro music, and Michael Lovett for the introduction. Check out Sound Division Podcast on iTunes, and please leave a rating and review if you could take the time. It really helps. Also available on Spotify, Google Play, and all the other platforms. Uh, you can check out images at SoundVision Podcast on Instagram. And if you can, take a moment to tell a friend or someone you think might be into it. Share or spread the word. Share it with other people. Many thanks for you guys for listening.